0: Take some time to bring some update direct from Nepal. If, uh, if you're not normally visiting or part of the nation's church, we just want to let you know that Mountain Child is, is our heart's response as a church to the desperate needs of people living in the remote areas of the Himalayas, especially in Nepal. And Pastor Jack... Pastor Jenny's wife, actually my daughter and my son-in-law, they were the founding pastors of the nation's church some 10 years ago almost now. And God has really spoken into their hearts concerning the people of Nepal, especially the remote uh, Tibetan tribes and people's groups there. And Mountain Child seeks to reach out to them both through practical means, through bringing uh, relief from suffering by bringing fresh water and education and very other, many other different things, but obviously, ultimately, to get to that place where people will receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's our joy as a church family to constantly be joined heart-to-heart with our church family in Nepal. There are a number of couples that have moved from here and are now living long-term in Kathmandu, serving with Mountain Child. And, of course, Pastors Jack and Jenny and their children are among that number. And I want to just re-echo what uh, Patrick has encouraged us with, that we continue to pray and that we continue to pray with knowledge. And part of what I really feel God wants to do for us this morning is to give us some of that knowledge that we can continue to pray for, that we know what we're asking for, that we know what God wants to do. So I I just want to ask you, open your hearts to what God is going to put in there, as Pastor Jenny shares, some of those things that have been taking place over the past eight weeks or so.
1: Awesome. Before I do that, though, I just want to take a moment to wish my father and all the fathers here a happy father's day i know it's father's day in the uk the usa and i think a couple of other countries it's not often i get a is in australia too no, oh, there we are then. It's not often I get a chance to be with my dad on a special day. Um, and I don't know many people who really truly represent the Father's heart of God as much as he does. And I know he has that same Father's heart for all of you. You're a part of his extended family um, as your pastor. So on behalf of myself and the congregation, we wish you and all the fathers here a very happy and blessed Father's Day. So. Amen. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, as Patrick said, it's been eight weeks and one day, although we're not counting, uh, since uh, Nepal experienced uh, one major earthquake. um, uh, April the 25th, around noon uh, Saturday, um, a 7.8 earthquake magnitude hit uh, Nepal to the west of Kathmandu and brought devastation, brought destruction, uh, but also brought opportunity, we really believe, for God to come and really touch the heart of the nation and the people within that nation. Uh, Many people have been asking me about us personally, so I will very quickly give you that update, and then I'll share uh, a little bit more about what Mountain Child as an organization has been doing and is continuing to do. So uh, on the Saturday of the earthquake, Pastor Jack was actually in the USA. He wasn't with us. Uh, Myself and the children were home. Laura had a friend around. Um, we were actually preparing for Kaya's fourth birthday party. Uh, it was her birthday just the day before, and we were putting up decorations and decorated cupcakes, and I had just gone upstairs um, to get ready for a youth group the following day um, and make some preparations for that. When the alarm sounded, um, we have an earthquake alarm. We all know exactly what it sounds like and what frequency it is now, um, and the ground literally started shaking very, very violently. Um, I shouted to the children to get out. Thankfully, they were downstairs, um, so they ran outside. Um, I made my way from the third floor down, which probably in hindsight was not the wisest move, but Mama Bear instincts took over, and I was going to get to my kids at any cost. Um, so as the ground and the stairs were violently shaking, i still not quite sure how I made it down and out, but made it down the stairs um, outside, and we just were huddled together in the outside space that we have, Um, just praying, um, calling upon the name of Jesus. Um, It seemed like an eternity that the ground continued shaking. Of course, it was in reality probably a minute or two, um, but enough that uh, it it rocked our world in more ways than one. Uh, We then continued throughout that afternoon uh, to go and find and locate other staff members, go to our general meeting site, uh, we ended up collecting stray teenagers of Laura's friends from school whose parents were out of the country or in another part of the country, um, getting one of them stitched up in a hospital, um, and then uh, managed to, by the end of the day, collect 25 to 30 or so people who then, then camped outside, in our hou- outside of our house in the grounds under their kind of little bike shed that we had to protect us from the weather and the rain. Uh, we continued to camp out for about five days, Uh, Many people are still camping outside, um, living out under tents or shelters or tarpaulins, either because their houses or their properties have been deemed unsafe, they're literally crushed to the ground, or simply they're afraid. They don't know how to go back inside. Um, We managed after uh, a couple of days of just basically getting ourselves and our families survived and into a little bit of a routine of... No electricity and no water, and thankfully we don't have those things constantly, so it wasn't a huge shock. Uh, We did have to conserve even more than we normally do um, and uh, figure out some sleeping arrangements and all of those things. But within about a day and a half to do two days, I would say, it was incredible to see how the staff came together and their response was, what can we do? How can we help? What should we do? So we started some strategy meetings just in the living room. Um, They often got interrupted. Uh, By the earthquake alarm going off and continued aftershocks, at which point we'd all run back outside again and then wait a few minutes and then go back inside again to continue our meetings, Um, and just literally started to try to contact every village person that we knew, everybody in any remote area, try to find out what their status was, were they okay, what did they need, how could we help, and start to gather both information and um, begin to even go find what tents were in Kathmandu, what tarps were there, what ropes were there, how much rice was there, where where, where was the supplies that we needed Um, as I say at this time Pastor Jack was out of the country he was actually I was actually upstairs replying to his email that he'd sent me that morning um, telling me that the meeting he was supposed to be attending that day in the USA had been cancelled due to a bomb threat so I replied to that email, that's absolutely nothing, we've just been through an earthquake. So he uh, was desperately trying to make his way back to Kathmandu. He said he's never come closer to hijacking an airplane before in his life. Um, you know, As a, a husband and a father and then also a staff leader, um, he just was couldn't believe that something like that would happen whilst he was not in the country. Um, So he was spending all of his time and energy and resources to try to gather uh, support and supplies and whatever he could from the states, and it took him four days to get back into the country. Um, When he made it back, we just continued to build up um, awareness, information, resources, what could we do, and start to formulate a plan. We quickly turned ourselves from uh, an ING organization to, I guess, a relief organization in some ways, And we're still um, at the tail end of that as an organization. Um, For the next uh, couple of uh, weeks, some staff were still sleeping outside. Um, Myself and the children were camped on the ground floor. They refused to go upstairs. Um, Just to kind of put it into perspective a little bit for you, yes, we had the 7.8 earthquake on April the 25th between last week and then, so about seven and a half weeks, we have had over 250 significant aftershocks. That would be an aftershock of something 3.8 to 4 or higher. We've had 20,000 minor aftershocks in those past seven and a half, eight weeks. So, And we've also had, I think, uh, several um, high... I, uh, I don't know what you class as high anymore... High earthquakes also separately happen. One of them, significant one being on May the 12th, um, on the Tuesday, it was a 7.2 earthquake that happened almost just over two weeks after the first earthquake. So it's something I was never aware of. Um, You prepare yourself for the first one, it happens, you get over it, but the continued aftershocks just keep coming and keep coming. For the first few days, they were almost on an hourly to you know, every couple of hours basis, that the ground just continues to shake and you find yourself at that moment in time reliving almost the first earthquake again, that fear grips your heart, the is it going to stop? Is it going to continue? Is it going to get bigger? All the questions come into your heart and come into your mind. And I know that that's not just the experience that I have its experience of the, the general nation. So just when you think that perhaps things are starting to settle down and you get back to normal, another one will happen and another big aftershock or something. So you kind of feel in some ways mentally and emotionally you're taking one step forward and then suddenly two steps back because you go back to that place of fear and you go back to that question in your heart and your mind And the people in Nepal are still living that way, which is why when I say some of them are living outside due to fear, it might seem hard for us to comprehend. You might think, well, it's just common sense to get yourself back in a house if it's okay. You can sleep better. You can function better. You can get back to normal. But fear just so significantly grips people at this time that I really believe and can see how the enemy uses it as a device to hold people. Yeah, uh, the, the it just it takes common sense out of the picture it takes all form of function of normality out of the picture so in your prayers as patrick said, when you're praying with understanding that's a key thing that you could really pray for the people for that the, the grip of fear is released from their hearts that the enemy cannot have that stronghold upon them and their hearts anymore um, and you know i i experience it and feel it as a christian And as a person who knows the truth and the power of the Word of God and who knows not to live by my thoughts and feelings, but yet I'm finding myself having to walk through and process that. So if I'm having to do that, I can only imagine what other people who have no hope or have no understanding of God's power that overcomes that, how they're even beginning to walk out that process. Uh, Because I find myself... Uh, even on the airplane flying over here, turbulence hits, any kind of jolt or any loud noise just instantly puts you on edge just that little bit and you have to remind yourself, you know, no, 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 no. There's no need to fear. And I would say for myself, it's not the fear of death. I have no fear of death. It's just a fear of, I guess, the unknown of what's going to happen, a fear for perhaps my children's safety and, and the people around me. And so that's a real desperate, desperate need. Um, and it's something that you can't do anything about physically. You can't go and hand them something to help that fear. You can't go give them something to make it better. Um, you, it, it's something that only the power of the truth of the word of God can break. It's a bondage that the enemy has people in. Um, and it's really opened my eyes to be able to see um, uh, see that in a way that I've never been able to do that before. So I would really, really encourage you to please make that one of your key prayer points to pray and stand against the fear that the enemy has the nation of Nepal in. both Christians and non-Christians. Um, it's something that's affected a lot of our staff members personally. Um, something that uh, I don't know if many, any of you or all of you do already know, but just the week after, so in between the first and the second earthquake, you as a church sent Yung Ho over to see us And to just sit and talk with our staff, to talk with people, to help them just work through emotionally and mentally some of the things that they were experiencing and feelings with the expertise that he has. And it was an incredible help. So I just also want to publicly say thank you to you as a church for doing that. You have no idea. What help that was to our staff, what help that was to help them along their path of being able to get back to that place of uh, security in God and who he is, whilst at the same time needing to process what they had been through. There is a very definite need to have to process something like this. You can't just ignore it. You can't just brush it under the rug. Believe me, I have tried. Um, you have to process it, you have to walk it through, and you have to let God's spirit bring his truth and his word into that time, um, both from the very young ones, the children, through to the adults who are all at different points and different stages at different places. Um, but having someone like young who come to us and be able to do that, both with his professional experience, but yet also with the truth of the word of God that is so strong inside of him, was just incredible and has helped our staff be able to continue to do what they've been doing so quickly. Uh, Many of the other organizations within Nepal felt the need to evacuate their staff, take them all out of the country immediately or within a few days to be able to allow them that same time to process or have sent them on furlough. For us, having Youngho come and able to process it there has enabled us to continue to work, which has been incredible. Um, So our thanks to you as a church for standing with us in that way and for sending him to us. Um, It was just wonderful um, to see him as a friend, but to have him do that. So thank you. So uh, the second earthquake, uh, Jack was in the country for that one. Uh, In fact, Hudson blames him for that one because uh, he had told Hudson, you know, in talking through some of the thoughts and things that had happened, he was trying to explain to Hudson that, you know, he couldn't fully understand what Hudson had been through because he wasn't there. Hudson interpreted that as Daddy wanted to go through something similar. So when the second earthquake hit, he told all his friends it was his dad's fault. Daddy wanted to experience what we had been through, so he knew how to help us. The children were at school for that earthquake. Um, We were in separate locations, myself and Jack. We all converged upon the school. They were all safe and sitting there. Um, But again, it felt like that one step forward, about three steps back at this point, um, again, I'm not a geologist or a earth movement professor person, um, but uh, in, if you look at some of the... And this is not completely accurate, but generally um, the amount of pressure that had built up within the plates underneath Nepal um, and the shifting that needed to happen with the first earthquake, we had moved and figured that out by about 30%. So there was still 70% more that needed to happen of the movement and the shifting and the releasing of the pressure. Um, so when the second one happened, that really released and shifted a bit more. And with these continued aftershocks, it's little by little more. But I think we're only at about 50% now. And I think they said there was a three-feet shift that needed to happen, and we've moved about a foot. So, again, the fear is in foremost in people's minds. You know, it hasn't finished. The aftershocks continue. Is there going to be another big one is the huge question. And uh, geologically speaking, potentially, Yes. There could be another big one. Or they could be continued aftershocks of this significance for the next year or two. So it's something that's not over. And it's not like you can immediately deal with it, get on, and then continue to build and rebuild. It's something that you have to continuously deal with. Um, and that's what the people of Nepal um, and the staff members and uh, the villagers are all doing at this moment in time. So, continued prayers. Are definitely needed. I know that the news and the media have moved on to far more important things like who's dating who and uh, which person's done this and that in Hollywood, but it's still very significant and real and a desperate need in the country and for the people. Um, so please continue to keep it in your hearts, continue to keep it in your minds. As Patrick and Pastor John said, we do have a website and has a Facebook page where information is put up. Please be aware that none of that information is of any spiritual nature or religious nature. We're not allowed to. The organization that we work um, is a charitable or nonprofit non-profit organization. So we just simply put up the practical things that we're doing. But knowing all along in the background there's that desire to bring the practical help. So they can ask the question, why are you doing this? And we can give them the real answers and the real hope that they need. But it does give you some very good information about what we're doing, how we're helping... Uh, what the needs are, and as Patrick says, you know, the Bible tells us to pray with understanding. If you know and hear of a specific need that you can pray for because you've learned about it, it gives you that entrance and that understanding to go and pray with even more authority, I would say, because you're praying for a very specific... God is a God of details and a God of specifics. He created us. We're very detailed. We're very specific people, and He likes that. So when you pray... Ask God, what should I pray for? The need is so vast. It's so great. And we know that we as an organization, we as a staff and people are just a drop in the bucket of what is needed. But God can do so much. God can bring about so much. Uh, Again, I believe it was God's mercy upon the people and the nation of Nepal. Um, The timing of the earthquake. I, I don't like to say this, but if ever there was a good time to have an earthquake, when it happened was the best time. It was a Saturday. Saturday is the only day of the week where children are not in school. Hundreds of thousands of schools collapsed and completely are devastated and gone. If the children had been in there, it would have been a huge, devastating, significant death toll that was much higher. The timing of the year of the season meant that the villagers were out in their fields, harvesting and planting and, and, and farming out in the in the fields. Um, so they were not in their houses. So the death toll again was significantly lowered because of that. Um, the timing of the year again also meant that it wasn't freezing, freezing cold after the earthquake. And it's given us eight weeks. The monsoon rains only just started this past week. It gave us seven to eight weeks to get emergency supplies to the remote places before the monsoon has hampered us. So God has been merciful, I believe. And God has been gracious upon the country in the timing and just some of the saving grace that he has poured upon them. Um, But the need is great. So what are we doing as an organization? Quite a lot, actually. (laughs) Um, Like I say, within the first couple of days after checking that the families were all alive and safe and had food and relatively clean water, um, we then turned our attention to finding out what was the need. What could we do? How could we help? And very quickly, um, we realized that although the need was vastly spread, nobody was going up to the remote areas that we generally work in. We work in the very high northern areas along the Chinese-Tibetan border, certain villages that we've worked in there for many, many years now, and nobody was going there, Uh, which doesn't actually surprise us because not many people go there or work there anyway. We're one of the very few organizations that go there. But of all the big um, other country relief agencies, the Swiss that came in, the Germans that came in, the Dutch that came in, even the governmental workers, nobody was making their way up there. So we were able to continue to keep and will continue to keep our focus very clearly on those target areas. There is devastation. There is need all around us. Um, But it kind of giving us this kind of bullseye target enabled us, and I hate to say this, enabled us to actually say no to a lot of people who came to us and said, we need, we need, we need, because we were able to take it where it was desperately, desperately needed, but at the same time point those people to other organizations who were working in their areas and helping them. So as of, I believe, yes, uh, Friday, we have taken 55 to 60 helicopter trips of food, which is rice, dal, oil, tea, salt the basic essentials that they need tops rope shelter materials um, the kind of guess the easiest thing we found was the underlay that you put underneath a carpet of a floor as some kind of very thin foam padding to get them off the ground so that they don't get wet when they're sleeping, just whatever they specifically ask for, school supplies, textbooks, stationery, food for the school children, um, uh, up to these remote um, areas of Nupri and Dolka and Rasua and Gorka area. And so we've been doing almost three days a week, three times a day, taking helicopter trips up. Uh, It's very technical. I'm glad we have people who are good with figures and maths and numbers and GPS because for every flight you have to fill out a manifest of who is going, where they're going, what the GPS coordinates are, exactly to the weighed gram, how much rice you're taking, how much dal you're taking, because helicopters can only take a very certain weight amount and payload. Um, so it's, it's not an easy task. It's not an easy task anyway, but it's even more complicated by the fact that we're having to do this with all this technical um, information why are we taking helicopters It's well, a very easy question to answer because there's no other way right now all the roads that we've tried to get through and pass we've sent ground teams observation teams up there um, nepali staff trekkers who would normally take four to five days to get up there they're now taking a week and a half to two weeks to make it through the road carrying in their backpacks their own food and water and they could not carry anything else they're climbing over rocks and avalanches Uh, We've tried to see if there's a path for the donkeys to get through to carry some of this stuff up. It's just impossible. And then uh, Friday night, the monsoon rain started, as I said, and we had over eight inches of rain within a matter of minutes. So some of these paths that were almost passable have now become death traps, landslides, are just completely passing them. All the loose rubble that was loosened from the earthquake, the rocks, all the different things, are now completely covering these paths, um, covering the villages, um, so what was possibly a possibility to maybe get one or two things through is now a complete impossibility. Of course, the monsoon rains are now hampering our helicopter efforts. We have to wait for a rain to pass before we can go up. So uh, the amount of helicopter trips we're able to take is is reducing. Um, but also, we do believe that the need for actual emergency aid is coming finally to an end, for them to actually survive, I mean, live, survive for the next few weeks through the monsoon. Um, So uh, we're pursuing that until the need has passed. When that has passed, the next stage will begin. What is the next stage? It's a very interesting, detailed, and good question to which we honestly don't have the exact answer to yet. Whenever we send a helicopter team up, we're sending staff up to do assessment trips, count the number of houses, count the number of villages, count the needs. Did they plant rice before this? Are they going to be able to harvest next year? Are their houses there? Are their schools there? What do they need? Is their water supply cut off and gone? Did they even have a water supply? Do they have toilets? And we're taking at this current time over this next month all that information and trying to, with God's help and direction and wisdom, put together the strategy for the next steps. How do we help them build? Will they listen to the new methods that we're learning and trying to teach them that make their houses safer? Um, Can we bring in at this time a better water supply system for them to get them the clean water so their children aren't going to die and get sick? Um, Is there a medical post we can put in the area or can we staff it? So all these are questions that we don't have the answers to right now. We're praying for God to give us the answers and we're doing everything we physically, practically can do to try to get the information so, please, that's another prayer point. Pray for the wisdom and the direction of God to know just what to do next. As I said, the need is vast, the need is great. We could be up there for the next three years building houses or building schools or putting in water tanks, and that might be what we do in certain places. But we really, really need to know where God wants us positioned, what, need, what, where, what we need to do. Um, like I say, we're relatively small organization, but God's given us the grace to be able to go and be effective in these areas and we want to continue that and be as effective as we possibly can with the staff and the resources that we do have um, for that. So that would be another prayer point that I would say specifically that we would ask for you guys to pray for. Uh, another very practical one is some of you have been following on Facebook tents. Uh, a lot of the schools up in our villages have been completely destroyed. Uh, the school buildings have collapsed um, or they've partially collapsed, so they need to be knocked down. So, about four and a half weeks ago, after our initial survey of going up there saying, What do we need? we discovered the schools needed to be reopened. There's no way they can build those in this short amount of time. So, we said, Great, we'll get you some tents. You can make them as classrooms in the kitchen and the dormitory rooms and get the kids going back to school, get them to some form of normality. If the children go back to school, The dads and the mums can rebuild the houses, or they can go and farm the fields, or they can get back to doing what they need to do. Um, But uh, sadly, the Nepal government have imposed all the regular and some new customs and imports laws that prevented these tents from actually getting to us until last week. They sat for three and a half weeks in the airport with uh, people daily discussing with customs officers, um, and uh, having long discussions about the need for these tents. We finally have them in our possession. And the plan is next Sunday and Monday to sling load the tents. I'm learning all these new technical terms I never knew before. So a sling load is where the helicopter kind of carries a big net underneath it instead of putting it in the helicopter because they're too heavy and then sling loads them up to the villages. So we actually have to drive the tents from the main city as far up the road as the road is physically allowable Um, and then they will pick them up from there with these big nets and just kind of throw them down at the villages. and then we'll have teams up there waiting for them to go and set them up, get them ready for classrooms. So that would be a huge prayer request next Sunday, Monday. We have two days' worth of sling-loading happening. Um, Rain would not be good on those days. Rain would hamper a lot of efforts. Rain would hinder a lot of things happening. So we pray for clear skies and for just quick and easy and safe rides for those things to happen. Uh, Again, something very specific for those of you who are writing down all these details or specifics to pray for um, that we would need to happen in the next week because uh, one of the big things that is prevalent right now is the very high risk of trafficking for children. Uh, As you all know, Nepal is at high risk anyway, but in a situation like this where the children are displaced from their homes, they're not in school, they're running around all day, Mothers are maybe displaced from them or trying to sort something else out while the children are there. There is no one watching them. There's no one caring for them. Uh, Governments have set up different child-safe camps in different areas. And some of the Kathmandu schools have actually just opened a couple of weeks ago. But many of them can't. Many of them, either the building is destroyed or the teachers have gone. Especially in the remote villages where the teachers didn't really want to be there anyway. They took this as their opportunity to leave. So the traffickers are using this opportunity to boost their trade and take these children um, because perhaps now the mother has no home for them, has no hope or no future. So what the traffickers provide as an option without her knowing that it's trafficking is something that they are very willing to consider, whereas perhaps they wouldn't have before. Uh, So getting these children back in school, getting normality, getting a system back in function is is a high priority for us. Uh, For that reason as well, Um, again, something we can't stop. Trafficking is not something that no matter how much you do, no matter how many laws you write, no matter how much you petition the government, the only thing that can stop that is a change of the heart of man, and that change comes from God and the conviction of sin. So that's something we continuously pray for, but it's something that we're very aware of right now. That is a big problem, even more so than normal. So that's why we're trying to do everything we can to focus in on schools, get the schools food, get the schools tents, get them classrooms, get them whatever they need so that they can get back to uh, protecting the children in that way and also educating them for their future and continuing to do that. So we continue to work. We continue to have staff in Nepal. Uh, Many of the foreign families are out right now. Uh, on already pre-planned kind of summer breaks. Usually when the monsoon hits, there's not much we can do. We can't get out to the villages. Landslides um, are, are normal during monsoon season. They're just a much greater and higher threat at this moment in time. Villages that did have perhaps a potential of surviving are quite possibly after this monsoon season going to be wiped out themselves. Several villages have already been wiped out by landslides and when I mean wiped out, I mean the entire landscape is flattened, completely devastated. One of the areas that I believe some of you have trekked in, in Gatlang and Langtang area, uh, Pastor Jack, Laura, and Hudson with their cousin were there just the four days before the earthquake hit. That area is now completely disappeared. No villages, no houses, no survivors, um, nobody, nothing. Um, and it just kind of brings to home, you know, loss that Nepal is experiencing. But we really believe, as I said, that this is an opportunity for God to move and God to work. Uh, As many of you know, Pastor Jack is a strategy person. In fact, if he was here, you'd have pictures and maps and figures and pie charts and data and tables and stuff. Um, But like I say, we have the strategy and we have the vision, but it feels like in many ways... In some parts of that, God has just escalated that by many years. Villages that we didn't even think we'd be able to begin working in until many, many years later because it takes years to build relationship. It takes years to go in and meet with them and have the cups of tea and shake their hands, sit down with the village leaders and talk with them and explain to them who we are and how we can help their village All of that seems to have gone out the window when they see us coming up to the remote region and they see us all going up with the T-shirts on and who is this mountain child? They're the only people who are turning up to this area. Who are you? What are you doing? How can you help us? They're coming to us, which has never happened before. And we can see how God is escalating some of those relationships and some of those processes to be able to go and work in those areas much faster and much easier um, than we would have had to before. So we just have eyes wide open to see what God is doing and say, wow, this is incredible. Um, But we want to use as much wisdom to be able to use that and use that platform that God has given us um, and not just go in and provide them with the rice and the dal and the tents and the shelter, but to really enable them to really see and hear whilst their hearts are tender and hurting and open right now. That there is a God who loves them and there's a God who cares not just for their practical well-being and whether they survive the night by eating, but who cares for their spirit and who cares for their soul and who cares for them as a person and would send his son to die for them. And this is a key time where we can go in and do that. So we're wanting to, in our strategies of how to build this or put that water project or that toilet or this or that, how do we do that, Lord? How do we, where can we be most effective in doing that? And it's, you know, the field is ripe for harvest. If ever there was a time, the field is ripe for harvest. And we've been sitting in governmental meetings and uh, different meetings that as an official organization we have to attend. And one of them just touched us recently that we were sitting there and Jack and another co-worker were sitting there. And Nepali stood up at the beginning of the meeting and just broke down. He said, I just want to thank you for being here, for staying here. Why would you do that? Why would you stay and help our country? You're not Nepali. This is not your home. And I can't say anything except for thanks for being here. And the majority of the organizations in that room are all Christian organizations. They're the ones who are stepping up and helping and relief work. And so it is being noticed by the people. It is being noticed, the small things. And they are starting to ask questions. And they're starting to have openness of heart. And so really, really, that's, I would say, pray, pray, pray. The harvest is ripe. That the laborers, that the workers are able to go in, they're able to be used. God's word is able to spread. People come to know of him, his mercy, his salvation, his grace. And that this is a time where God can completely turn around what was meant for evil into something for his good. Amen.